This podcast is brought to you by Intel V Pro. My mornings are hectic, typically. Ashton Nelson is a working mother of four, which means her morning routine is a little chaotic. I make breakfast every morning um, for everyone, so that way they have something hot. And then I usually get everybody else up about 6.30 or so. We normally leave the house at about, usually between 7 and 7.15, because I have three different drop-off locations <laughs> for uh, my kiddos. This might sound familiar to working parents, and childcare is a crucial part of making it work. But it's complicated to manage, especially if you have multiple kids. And it's expensive. I think that that's a huge, you know, consideration of families because when you're talking $300 a week, you know, $1,200 a month, regardless of your income, um, that's a lot of money for a lot of people. As one expert put it, if you have young children, there's no way you can go to work without childcare. That's Abba Badarai. She's an economics correspondent here at The Post. And lately, Abba's been spending a lot of time talking to parents like Ashton. This month, a $24 billion program to help fund childcare facilities is set to expire, which means childcare might get even less affordable, or centers could close completely. And Abba says the consequences could be far-reaching, and not just for families with kids. A lot of the resilience and the strength that we've seen in the economy in the last few years has been because of the strong labor market, because people are going back to work, and especially women and mothers in particular are really returning to the workforce at record levels that we haven't seen before. So there is a very real fear that as childcare becomes more difficult to access and more expensive to access, that those women may be pushed out of the workforce. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm your guest host, Arjun Singh. It's Monday, September 25th. Today, we look at the essential role childcare plays in our economy and how losing daycare centers can have a ripple effect throughout the labor market. Abba spoke to my colleague, Rachel Siegel. So let's go to the beginning of this funding that we're talking about that's expiring. Can you walk us through when the funds were first approved? What was happening in the economy around that time? And why was it seen as a really necessary push? So this $24 billion was part of the American Rescue Plan. And it came into the picture at a time when the country was still very much in the trenches. How many of you have dealt not only in your own home and with your children and grandchildren, if you have them, with how difficult it is, the mental pressure and stress that are on so many families. One in 10 childcare centers had permanently closed. Many others were really struggling to stay afloat. And you have to remember that these are not huge institutions for the most part. These are typically small businesses run by women, women of color in most cases. And they're really just scrambling to get by. A lot of the childcare providers I talked with said they they don't even pay themselves a minimum wage most of the time. This money came in at a very crucial time. It helped prop up the childcare centers from the inside, offering them extra money to cover their expenses or to pay teachers a bit more. There was also, as you may remember, a huge labor shortage at this time. It was really difficult to get 
people, especially in in-person positions. And these are low-wage, very labor-intensive jobs. And so some of this funding went towards helping prop up those salaries. And it also helped subsidize family payments, especially for low-income families that receive government subsidies. And so in a lot of cases, states were giving this funding directly to families and saying, you don't actually have to pay for childcare this month. One economist I talked to put it, you know, this was a way to put a Band-Aid on a gaping wound in the midst of the pandemic. And now that Band-Aid is being ripped off and we're sort of left with this huge wound that's actually getting worse. And just to think about when this need was so present, the American Rescue Plans, this is early 2021, right? The beginning of the Biden administration All these things are going wrong in the economy, and this was sort of the moment that you're describing, right? That's exactly right. This was one of many measures that the government took to help things along. Okay. And how were the funds distributed? What was the process from getting $24 billion approved to getting it to child care centers in the first place? The money went to the states, and then each state had its own system for how it was going to allocate these funds. And we've seen some very creative approaches. We've seen some very direct approaches. But that money sort of funneled out that way, and it's also been expiring at different times. And so we've seen this very slow roll towards the end. The last of the money expires later this month, and that's really when things are supposed to get really bad. But we've already started to see closures and some of the impact of this money falling off. What do some of these centers look like? If you were going to paint a picture of these types of child care centers, what kinds of places are we talking about? You know, it's a huge range. Some of these are in-home daycare centers where there's Mm -hmm. maybe one teacher, maybe two or three. They're working around the clock. One woman I talked to here in Washington, she runs a 24-hour daycare center. And so those were really essential, especially during the pandemic Mm -hmm. when frontline workers had to get to work. Um, These are really important institutions for the community, uh, especially in rural areas or low-income areas where there aren't a lot of options. And so just one closure can have huge ripple effects because there's already such a scarcity of childcare options out there. Mm-hmm. You have one more closure and that sort of drums up the wait lists everywhere else and puts more pressure on the existing supply, drives up prices, and so on and so forth. Do we have a sense of how many kids could be affected by the expiration of these funds? The Century Foundation puts the number at 3.2 million children who could lose care as a result. The Century Foundation is a progressive think tank here in Washington. And it's important to remember that there's already a shortage of about 3.6 million spots when it comes to child care. And so this is already a major problem, and it's just about to get much worse. Mm -hmm. So this was part of a crisis response, but one that was made to an industry that was already short-staffed, struggling— Not enough daycare centers for the number of kids in need. Is that right? That's exactly right. This has been a crisis years and years in the making, you know, even before the pandemic. But then COVID came and sort of made everything much worse. Mm. What do you hear from the child care centers that are facing the loss of these funds? I mean, how do they describe what the impact will be as they're staring down this timeline? Almost every single child care provider I talked to around the country said that they were considering having to close. I mean, that was becoming a very real possibility. One woman in Indiana had already laid off all of her, you know, both of her staff members. So Mm -hmm. she was now single-handedly caring for five children and cooking for them and doing all of the administrative work. This is in an in-home daycare, so she also Mm -hmm. lives in this space. And so we're seeing people really being stretched to the max. And A lot of them were saying this is their last gasp at Mm -hmm. staying afloat, and they're just not sure how much longer they can do it. Yeah. Have you seen people leave the industry altogether, just decide that they can't swing it anymore? 
Yeah. I mean, we've seen a huge exodus of childcare workers that began early in COVID. The industry is still short 40,000 workers from pre-pandemic levels, and that's only gotten worse. Um, you know, as, as I mentioned before, these are very low-paying jobs. Typically, they're very labor-intensive. They're very emotionally intensive. Um, they're difficult jobs, and they don't pay very well. That's led to a huge exodus across the board. And I've spoken to a few people who had to shut down their centers for financial reasons, but also because they needed health insurance. They had medical issues pop up and they said, you know, like this just is not sustainable. I need to take a more stable job that offers benefits. Mm -hmm. You talked to one mom in Maryland, Ashton Nelson, who is already feeling the fallout from this. Can you tell us about her story, her family and what she's dealing with right now? Ashton Nelson is a mother of four in Maryland, and she recently found out that her two youngest children's daycare was shutting down. We were told with 24 days notice that they were closing. She scrambled. She found care. She found a preschool for her four-year-old, but her one-year-old is completely stranded. She says every daycare around has years-long wait lists. There are very few options. She can't afford a nanny. Um, she and her husband both work in in-person jobs. It's a lot because you have to constantly think about like, okay, are we covered this day? Are we covered this day? Are we covered this day? It's been about a week and a half and she's been piecing together care from family members and friends and grandparents. And when she can't do that, she's been taking time off, but she's not sure how much longer she can do that without having to just consider quitting her job altogether. It sounds like a whole second job to have to arrange that schedule day by day or week by week. Absolutely. And to take your kid from one place to another, mm -hmm. I mean, it is a logistical nightmare. And would you say that from your reporting, Ashton's story is unique, you know, that it stands out? Or is this something that you hear from parents over and over? Oh, this is something I've heard over and over across the country. You know, parents of all socioeconomic levels in all kinds of communities who are getting, you know, very late notice, usually a few weeks, maybe a month that wow. their daycare is shutting down, and then they're having to scramble um, and finding that there just are not very many options. One woman that I spoke with in Wisconsin has dealt with this twice in the last year. She scrambled at the beginning of the year. It took her six weeks to find care between one daycare closing and finding another one. And so she asked her brother to step in. She asked a family friend to step in. She finally got through it and said, OK, things are good. I'm going to have a third kid. She's very pregnant with her third child. And then she just found out her oh. twins daycare is shutting down. And so these are really impossible situations and they happen very quickly. It becomes a real crisis very fast. After the break, Abba and Rachel talk about the toll this cut to childcare funding could have on the broader economy and what elected officials are saying about it. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity, all with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash IT heroes. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. 
I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. So a lot of your job revolves around looking at individual things that are happening to people or businesses or communities and figuring out how it fits within the broader economy. How do you draw that line between what's happening to Ashton or the other parents that you're talking to and the labor market as a whole? You know, the labor market is comprised of millions of people, millions of parents, and they're all there as the product of very individual personal decisions that they have to make. And childcare is a huge looming factor in whether or not they can get to work, whether or not they can work the hours that they want to work, or, you know, whether or not they can keep going to work. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of parents, you know, even if it meant giving up their health insurance or giving up these very significant signing bonuses they'd signed, are saying, if I don't have childcare, there's just no way. There is no mm. way I can keep going to work. And so you add that up around the country and it becomes a very real hit to the job market. Do economists have expectations or forecasts for what this does to the labor market? You know, we're not sure. We're not sure exactly how this is going to play out or who's going to end up leaving the labor market as a result of these closures. But the Century Foundation estimates that Overall, for the economy, this is going to be a $10.6 billion hit. And so that's in lost jobs, that's in lost spending, that's sort of across the board. Wow. And are there any particular industries that come up as perhaps more, if you work in a certain industry, maybe you would be more vulnerable to this kind of hit? Yeah, I think the first people who are going to be affected are the people in in in-person jobs Mm -hmm. who don't have the option to maybe work from home here and there when they need childcare. And so we're talking nurses, doctors, teachers, restaurant staff, and these are all industries that have really struggled to build back up after the pandemic. Um, And that's probably where we're going to start seeing the first tremors here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Abba, there's no singular experience, obviously, to being a parent. But if we were to generalize just a bit, do we have a sense of how much it costs to raise kids without adding on the costs of this hit to the childcare industry? You know, it it varies widely, of course, but it's very expensive and it's getting more expensive. Childcare averages about $10,000 nationwide per year per kid. Wow. That can easily be $15,000, $20,000, $30,000, even depending on where you live and what kind of care you have. And then you add in the rising cost of everything else. You know, food has gotten more expensive, Mm -hmm. utilities, rent, and it becomes just one more cost. Mm -hmm. Um, And even as inflation has come down in recent months, the price of childcare has risen at twice the pace of inflation. And so we're seeing, yeah, 6% growth year over year versus... 3.2% 3.2% for inflation. Mm-hmm. And so these these costs are not getting much better. So because of all of this, then, we're talking about the expiration of this funding. Was there a push or is there a push from lawmakers or the White House to try and keep it intact? There's been a lot of lip service on both sides of the aisle. There is a real understanding that accessible and affordable childcare is a very important part of the economy. Here is Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. This discussion and how we deal with childcare is a real reflection on our national priorities. We talk about our love for children. The future of America is our children. But we don't 
put that into effect when we pay childcare workers $12 an hour, when we charge parents rates that are unaffordable, when we don't have enough slots available for working families. Republicans are really resistant to any more spending for safety net programs in particular. Here is Republican Senator Bill Cassidy, for example. What Republicans will disagree with, at least this Republican, is that more government and more of the kind of spending that congressional Democrats are promoting is the solution. So let's think about that. But, you know, we're at a point where the government is on the brink of a shutdown, where there is not much <laughs> agreement yeah. <laughs> over budget proposals in particular, and especially when it comes to safety net programs. Mm-hmm. So it just does not look likely that there's going to be an easy fix anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in your mind, does that leave certain parents more vulnerable to this kind of expiration in funding? Are there certain parents who you think will feel this first? Absolutely. Low-income parents Mm -hmm. across the board, parents in rural areas, parents um, in places where there just are not very many options to begin with. And then you add in the fact that a lot of this funding was going towards government subsidies that goes directly to families that need help, and they're going to be the first ones to sort of end up without care. Mm -hmm. And while higher wage families could maybe piece together a nanny or, you know, find some sort of other alternative to get them through. That's much harder when you don't have as much at your disposal. And what do some of those other options look like? If you're a parent facing either the closure of your daycare center, you can't get on the list, what options are there for people? There's family care, which is what I heard from a lot of people who have that option is that they're calling on their grandparents or, or I mean, they're calling on their parents or their siblings or other people in their community to take over. But that's only possible for so long. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's not necessarily a permanent situation. There are also nannies. There are au pairs. But all of those are also, you know, sort of they take time to piece together. They take money to piece together. And it's not it's not an immediate fix. Abba, can you walk us through what the economic toll of this looks like? How does it cascade through the economy? There are huge ripple effects. I mean, if you suddenly have 3.2 million children who lose care, that's millions of parents who all of a sudden are without childcare, who Mm -hmm. have to figure out another way to get to work. That means many of them, especially mothers, could end up having to quit their jobs. And that puts even more pressure on industries, especially service industries, where we've already seen labor shortages Mm -hmm. and all sorts of other challenges after the pandemic. It makes it that much harder for them to stay afloat. Places like restaurants, you know, small clinics that really rely on in-person workers and a lot of times on women in particular to keep them running. Abba, it seems that in some ways this childcare example is one among many, of emergency benefits that were pushed through during a crisis situation that now are expiring, that are a couple of years down the line being pulled back. And that means that individual families will have to adjust to this new normal, and it means the broader economy has to adjust to this new normal, right? That's exactly right. And this entire year, in many ways, has been a readjustment to dealing with this loss of funding across the board for programs like food stamps, Medicare and Medicaid. We have the student loan repayments starting back up soon. And so each of these is one more sort of stumbling block for families who are just starting to figure out what the post-pandemic normal looks like, what that looks like for their finances and what that looks like for their work lives. And every time one of these new challenges crops up, it becomes that much harder to figure out where to go from there. Ava, thank you so much for talking to us about this. 
Thanks for having me, Rachel. Abba Badarai reports on the economy for The Post. She spoke to my colleague, Rachel Siegel. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by me and edited by Maggie Penman. It was mixed by Sean Carter. Thank you to Robin Amer and Rena Flores. I'm Arjun Singh. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. This podcast is brought to you by Intel vPro. AI PCs built for business with Intel Core Ultra Processors and Intel vPro are optimized for hundreds of AI apps and tools to boost user productivity. All with AI-powered threat detection. Learn more at intel.com slash itheroes.